A very warm welcome to the final edition of the Cricket Library podcast for 2019. What a wonderful year it has been hanging out with you all and chatting to some of the magnificent guests we've had, really. It's been a real pleasure to chat all things cricket with so many wonderful people throughout the year and we're finishing with a bang. We are going to finish with someone who represented New Zealand on 26 occasions in Test Match Cricket, claiming 77 wickets with a best bowling of 6 for 54. 94 one-day internationals in there as well, best bowling 4 for 24, 110 wickets to his name, 3 T20 internationals as well, all three formats, played three World Cups, was part of three World Cup campaigns for New Zealand, Uh, an absolute gentleman, a wonderful person to talk to, his name is Daryl Tuffy and I'm really looking forward to chatting through with him about his journey into first-class cricket. He debuted fairly young for a fast bowler on the first-class scene back in 96, 97. Uh, Talk about some of the the players he had the pleasure of playing with here, a bit about Stephen Fleming's captaincy. Uh, Also hear about some of the, the challenges of bowling on difficult wickets. And we bring in a new question at the end of the podcast today as well, asking him, about the three people he'd most like to have a net with and I'm really looking forward to finding out who those three people will be. We're going to make that a a standard finishing question on the podcast in the coming season ahead. But right now, it's time to get yourself comfortable, sit back, relax and enjoy because in just a few moments, we'll be chatting with our final guest of the year, Mr. Daryl Tuffy. Enjoy. And it's a very warm welcome on the Cricket Library podcast to Daryl Tuffy. Hey, how are you going? Yeah, very well. Thank you for joining us on the program. It's always good to have guests that have played at the international level and with Australia playing New Zealand at the moment, it's quite a good fit having a former New Zealand international on the show. So we'll, we might start off with where your passion for cricket began, where, where your journey uh, playing cricket began back in New Zealand growing up there. I'm from um, Auckland. So I'm from the main, the main city uh, in New Zealand, or the biggest city. Um, got to grow up um, in the southern part of Auckland, uh, probably, probably a rugby league and rugby uh, union um, kind of area, but um, I always gravitated towards cricket as a, as a youngster. So I started at about 47, eight years old, I think, from memory, and I've always enjoyed just throwing balls, hitting balls, and um, any kind of kind of ball game, really. But um, I mainly played, obviously, cricket in the summer and um, played rugby league in the winter. But uh, as I kind of went on, um, as probably about 13, 14, then things started to get a bit more serious and started to make a few more representative teams. And by the time I was 18... Then I was on a New Zealand youth team and um, knocking on the door of uh, first-class cricket and it kind of went from there. And was it hard to make a decision between playing rugby league and cricket? Was there a point there where you had to had to kind of break the 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 tie to rugby league and, and go all out for cricket around that 15, 16 age mark? Yeah, it was probably about 16 to 17. Like, um, 
I think around 17, I actually went and um, went over to England and to play cricket. So that was probably my first winter away from home. Um, so when I had the summer over in England and uh, playing cricket, and kind of from then on, never looked back. I was kind of going backwards and forwards, playing a bit of uh, club cricket every winter. I'd kind of leave around April, play um, April to September, come home, get back into our cricket season. Obviously, runs parallel to Australia. Um, I kind of did that for about three or four years, and and then kind of in first, then made it first class cricket. So it was around seventeen where um, I was. I probably enjoyed cricket more than I enjoyed um, playing rugby league. And to be fair, I was, I was better at cricket. <laughs> <laughs> and. <laughs> So it was, it, was, it, was easy, it was an easy decision. <laughs> oh, very good. And 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 what was the what was the transition like moving into first class cricket? You're r- relatively young playing first class cricket that 90, 96, 97 season. You would have been about nine, 18, 19 around that time. Uh, Correct. Yeah. For for a young a young guy, fast bowler, um, moving in to that environment. What what was that like? It was pretty daunting at the time. Like I'd. Um, I played for the New Zealand youth team, um, and a couple of our guys had played. Uh, Daniel Vittori, he'd played. Um, he actually just made his uh, international debut that that year um, in that ninety kind of ninety six ninety seven season. Um, he played against England, um, so we grew up playing together in the same the same province or same state back home, and so we were just playing like the youth the youth team there and. Um, I just got invited down to go as net bowler. They uh, they were playing in Auckland, and they oh, I had a bit of time time off, and they said, "Look, would you like to come down and and have a bowl with um, first class team?" And I jumped at the chance there to go, and um, subsequently bowled pretty well to um, to the majority of players I didn't even know. I knew of them, but didn't know them personally. And um, yeah, probably about two three weeks later, I was um, with a couple of guys going up to play first class. Uh, played natural cricket or Dan, I got my opportunity to go and play first class cricket, which was really good. I played the last couple of games of the 96, 97 team. And you have a couple of seasons playing first class cricket, uh, applying your craft, learning your game. Uh, then the call up comes in 2000 to make your test debut at Hamilton. How was, how was the lead up to that play, playing your first test match? Once again, it's pretty daunting, obviously, going back up. It's exactly the same as first class cricket. We're going up to a team where um, they'd been struggling against Australia. Australia come out and um, I'd played them in a warm-up game. Our first class team played a, um, a tour match against um, Australia. And I bowled pretty well in that game and um, I was having a pretty good season uh, first class cricket, but never thought I was likely of, um, of playing for New Zealand. I thought I was still caught a bit away from that. And, um, but... Um, yeah, they just wanted to make a change for the last test match, which was in Hamilton, and um, myself and another young guy and out my team, he was been of those, Bruce Martin. Both of us got called into the squad, and she was a bit green, so then I got the um, the tap on the shoulder saying that you're going to make the test debut, so pretty, uh, that was very surreal um, playing that. It kind of went, it was a bit of a blur, really, the whole game. We, we lost that game, but I had, you know, it was good fun playing against Australia and guys like so you'd see been playing um, day in, day out, like Ashton Sears, like Glenn Grant, Steve Wall and Mark Wall were playing then. Yeah, really the cream of the crop of Australian cricket at, at that era was um, some phenomenal players in that Australian team. And um, stepping up to that level, what what's the 
what's the advice you'd give to, to young guys coming through to prepare for that? Is there any way you can prepare or is it something that you just learn uh, as you go? Yeah, I think the thing is you learn as you go. I don't think you're ever kind of prepared like when, when anyone does get caught, whether you're probably an 18 or 20-year-old or whether you're probably you know, 27, 30, a bit more like a senior um, debutante. Um, I debuted when I was 21. Um, didn't really know a lot, really didn't know anything about playing test cricket. Uh, it was so, so far, so much different than playing first class. And, so I was kind of comfortable in the first class arena by then. I played about three years and done okay, some good results, mixed results. But then when you jump up into test cricket against the best side in the world, that was just a, um, felt like a bit of a cauldron. And one I always cherished, like I didn't play very well in that game, but I certainly, um, it couldn't get any tougher than, than that. And that was probably the thing I took away from that the most. Um, this is the toughest it's ever going to get. So it can only get easier than that from, from here on in. So, and, uh, I subsequently went away on a winter tour. Uh, we went away for about four months to, um, Kenya, Zimbabwe, uh, Australia, Sri Lanka, um, sorry, Singapore and South Africa. So that was, uh, that was a big four months, uh, heading away. But that was, that was an enjoyable tour. And you, you mentioned Zimbabwe there. That's where you made your one-day international debut. What was it like travelling over there? Teams don't get to go there very much anymore. And um, w- was it a, a, an unsettled time in Zimbabwe or was it, a, was it a happier time over there? I think it was just starting to turn, like, probably for the worst, really. Like, um, there's a lot of political stuff. I was kind of, like, pretty young and naive and didn't really know what was going on. I was just young 21-year-old kind of on tour and just, you know, trying to play. We had a very good team at that stage. Like, I was one of the, like, the junior members and I had our bowling attack with like, uh, Chris Cairns, Shane O'Connor, um, Dion Nash. So those were three guys that had played international cricket for the last five, three years or so. And so I was kind of on the tour as a, as a, as a youngster to kind of watch and learn and, and obviously have given an opportunity to... Um, to help the team, team win. So I didn't play any of the test matches there, but I managed to play um, some, uh, a couple of one-dayers there and then I played a couple of test matches in South Africa towards the end of that, um, that tour. And playing under Stephen Fleming, the the most celebrated New Zealand captain of all time, how did you find his leadership and um, what would you say were attributes that he brought uh, that helped your game? You know, he was, he was great. Like, um, probably the confidence to, um, A, firstly, to pick me out of kind of, um, just, you know, out of first class cricket, but obviously to give me opportunities, um, uh, when, when needed. Like, um, obviously, as I mentioned before, we had a very good, um, bowling line up there that, that we took away. And so I was kind of always on the periphery, like, whether I was going to play or not. But, um, every chance I got, he obviously got me into the team at warm up games and, um, threw me the ball at every opportunity. So, and obviously, I, I under even for most of my career, and um, which is really enjoyable. I think he's a great captain, um, and he started to obviously really convert like his fifties into hundreds. And I was very lucky enough to, to play alongside him when uh, he actually probably was at the peak of his game, um, which was great. You know, he was leading us and um, and scoring runs. So it was good to see. And he's known uh, for his skills as a tactician. Um, did you find that helped with your bowling as well, with setting fields and uh, game plans to dismiss batsmen? Was he a bit of a, a thinking captain? Yeah, definitely. Like, um, 
we did a lot of um, research into opposition. I think it's just like common, from a common knowledge now. Like all most teams do that. Like um, it, you know, most teams got a bowling coach now and um, and a batting advisor, and they're always working out plans. And um, yeah, kind of around that 2000 mark, we certainly started to uh, to read dig deep into um, how we can get guys out and um, certain fields we can do, uh, like we can we can kind of um, set to get guys up. You're, you're seeing like at the moment with um, the guy bowling short at Stephen Smith at the moment, just waiting, just waiting patiently for him to hit one to one of the fielders and at the moment it's working and like, Steve's a great batter and he's going to have to you know, combat that, um, which I, you know, I'm sure he will, but we were always thinking of like little things like that, how we can get certain guys out. Um, right from the from the start. Oh, just just on the Stephen Smith thing, um, Wagner and his bowling in the current series. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, fantastic. Um, I played a lot of cricket against uh, Neil Wagner. He played for one of the other states called uh, Otago, which is way down the deep south, and um, played a lot against Neil before I moved across to Australia. And just to see him, he's, he's a great bloke, and to see him kind of he was cricket or the cricket left arm to get 200 test wickets and um, to watch I went down over the last couple of days to um, the Boxing Day test and I saw just the way he ran, ran in all day and the bowl into the wicket like 6% bounces it was unbelievable and just the um, yeah it's been great to see and, and he's getting rewards at the moment too and um, yeah to have that fitness just to keep coming in ball after ball bowling short and he, I think he bowled 60% bounces. Um, <laughs> I think in that, that first innings, I would have bowled like six bounces. The <laughs> five <laughs> <laughs> bowling there. And four of those would have gone for four. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a pure workhorse, isn't he? Like he, his workload in the in the test series so far, and he just keeps putting his hand up. He looks like someone who, who really likes getting into his work and it, it'd be a real challenge for the captain to remove the ball from his hand. Oh, it is. You know, obviously, A, his fitness is um, you know, at its peak. He's bowling really well. He's in great form, which obviously always helps. And um, the captain's got so much faith in him, and he's always that go-to man at the moment. And um, it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back in Sydney. Like, he had such a massive workload um, over the last two tests. And um, it does start to take its toll, like, because uh, our guys, without batting, probably not batting, firing, as well as what we'd like, um, the bowlers boys have to kind of get back and have a bowl and pretty much been bowling every day. So um, hopefully something can change up in Sydney because otherwise like poor old Neil's going to just run himself into the ground. Yeah, yeah. And the, the possible addition of Will Somerville, Will Somerville coming into the squad, that, that could add another dimension to the New Zealand team coming into Sydney as well. Definitely. And it's probably like, um, like you mentioned, Satner didn't bowl that well. He hasn't bowled well the last couple of tests and... Um, and that's probably put a lot of pressure back onto um, Kane Williamson to bowl the seamers a lot more, where um, obviously if your spinner was going well, he probably would take a good chunk of that workload um, off the seamers. But um, hopefully with Will coming in and um, the track at Sydney's normally a turning wicket, like a bat, batsman's wicket, but that's a turn. So hopefully those guys start coming into um, to the game a bit more and can relieve a bit of pressure off the um, seamers. Yeah, absolutely. And now just back to your career, your best figures, six for 54 against England back in 2002. Was was that the best you felt bowling at international level? 
Oh yeah, it was it was a good day. Like that that getting the sixer against um, England, and uh, we bowled well as a unit um, that game. We were doing a little bit the wicket, so myself and Andre Adams um, and a, another guy, Chris Drum, like um, had a bit of a day out against those guys, which is always nice. Um, but I probably felt better at other games. Like um, I played actually something up in India at Mahali and got a few wickets there, and that's best I felt. It was tough work, um, but in terms of rhythm um, and where I wanted to put it on the, on a flat kind of slow wicket, that was probably the best I, I felt I bowled was um, in Mahali in India in 2002, I think it was. How do you mentally prepare to play in conditions that aren't conducive uh, to fast bowling? How, how do you, how do you how do you get yourself um, back to the top of your mark and just steaming in uh, with without much assistance from the wicket? I think it's just once again perseverance. I was kind of a bit like Neil Wagner, but more of the workhorse. And I had um, at various times Shane Bond um, bowling alongside me, and um, Ian Butler, another young bowler. He bowled in the kind of mid 140s. So my role was always to um, open. I was open to bowling, but once it starts swinging, it, it kind of yeah, to get some early wickets, and then to uh, play a bit more of a um, containing role and. Um, then keep going and come back like towards when we've got the second new ball. So, but then again, when you come back to New Zealand, it's a bit more senior friendly and conducive. So, I was in the game a lot more when I was playing there. So, my role changed um, from kind of at home to when I went overseas. Because um, obviously, in Dan Vittori, um, he was our our best bowler, and so we had a job to do to make sure that we got. Um, ourselves in a position where it would be best for Dan, how we could um, attack with uh, Daniel. Yeah, yep. So more more just thinking about your role within the team and making sure you do your job well um, in the con- in the context of the situation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and, and like, even like now, like, it always changes. It's like um, all of a sudden you're attacking and then there's a partnership gets formed and it doesn't matter whether you're at home or away and, then you play a bit more of a containing role, then you wait, then all of a sudden, bang, wicket happens, and then you're back, you're back attacking again. It's, um, it's a, that's test cricket at its finest. It's just like you, you attack for a while, and then you've got sometimes they, they push back, and you're a bit of a, you're in a containing role. Um, or when you're batting, you're absorbing the pressure, like obviously we, we, have, we have done with bat um, at the Boxing Day test, and then all of a sudden you come back out, the bowlers get tired, you start attacking again. So it's funny, like, um, that's the beauty of test cricket. Um, over five days, it's a battle of attrition. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, opposite end of the spectrum, T20 cricket, you, you were fortunate enough to play in that first ever T20 international back in 2005 where the players had the headbands, the moustaches, uh, the, 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 the retro kits. Um, I think you might have bowled the first over of that game as well. Um, talk us through the fanfare there. At that time, did, did you actually think T20 cricket was going to be a thing or was it just a no, bit of fun? Not at all. It was just a big social kind of get-together. We got a huge crowd too, Eden Park. Obviously, any time you have Australia and New Zealand, as you've just seen the box day test, you know, see the Kiwi fans get up for it and to have um, to play the first T20 international. It was played in a bit of a, on a festive kind of atmosphere and carnival atmosphere. I remember Michael Cuthbert bowling like Dennis Lilly. And, <laughs> um, like McGraw was pretending to bowl underarm balls. That's right. 
Yeah. Some of our guys had like um, like afros and moustaches and like the old retro uh, beige um, New Zealand kit and the um, kind of canary yellow uh, kit for the Aussies. It was funny. It was it was good, but like yeah, you can see where it's gone to now. Like it's um, amazing. Like T20 cricket and um, as a spectator sport, like the BBL thing. And obviously the IPL has um, done wonders for that, and there's obviously T20. It's, in a way, it's probably forced a couple of guys to to choose whether they wanted to um, try and keep pushing for like test test honours, or whether to probably cut it short and head to T20 and do the T20 circuit. Um, so it's kind of divided um, a lot of the um, the players uh, in terms of which which way they want to go in terms of their careers. I think we've seen over the last kind of few years. And do you think it could be um, an opportunity as well for the likes of the Chris Greens of the world? They're getting exposure through 2020 cricket. Could that be a doorway for them into playing more regular first-class cricket, like a little bit like what we saw with David Warner in the early days? Definitely. Like, yeah, exactly. You saw David Warner when he first started. He's probably a bit of a glorified flogger um, when he first came and loved to hit the ball over the boundary, but he obviously turned himself into you know, a world-class test batter which probably you wouldn't have said he was going to be a test batter um, you know, in 2008, 2009 when, the first, when he first burst onto the scene. But, um, yeah, definitely, like, yeah, like, like Chris Green and guys like that, it gives them opportunities. They go overseas, um, playing in different conditions. Something that probably, unless you're playing test cricket or for your country, you never probably get to see, but it opens them up to playing in India, going over to the Caribbean, uh, over to England a lot. So, um I think P20's been, been great. And obviously for the spectators, um, you're probably not sitting there for five days. You're, you're in there. You can take the kids down in the afternoon, watch the DBL game, uh, be entertained for uh, three hours, and then kind of uh, catch the train home. And, um, you know, you've gone and seen you know, some world-class players for, for a few hours. Oh, it, it certainly, I know as a parent myself with kids, they love the atmosphere of the BBL games and – I think it is a very family-friendly option, uh, and I, I love Test cricket. I, I watch, I'd watch Test cricket eight days a week if it was possible. But certainly for new people to the game, and even for people like me that love Test cricket, the BBL's been outstanding and and something I love a lot. Oh, exactly. It, it just gets you kind of everyday kind of punter that doesn't really understand cricket and they've never really watched cricket. They probably see what a five-day test is. You know, pretty boring because I don't really understand you know, how it's played and what what's going on and who's winning. Someone like that, fucking test cricket. Oh, who's winning? <laughs> like, well, no one really at the moment. Like, <laughs> even and then after five days, someone will go, "Oh, who won?" And you go, oh, no, it was draw. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, what? But and you get a T20 game and hey, you know, balls are flying into the crowd and like the kids are captivated because. It's, Stuff going on, you know, mascot walking around, and there's things for kids going and going on, and fireworks, and so in that in that respect, it's um it's done a great job in getting um your kind of everyday punter following cricket a bit more, and, and then they start to watch a bit of test cricket after that and actually understand what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Now, World Cups, three World Cup campaigns, um, all quite different for you: oh three, oh seven, and two thousand eleven. Um, can you talk us through that experience of being at a World Cup and maybe how the different um, situations um, c- 
compared for you? Yeah, so my first one was 03 in South Africa. Um, but yeah, uh, I came up a really good um, home summer. So we played um, September, January against India. We played really well there. We'd beaten um, – they were kind of nearly number one, number two team in the world, like with Australia. And um, their batting lineup with Patrick and Dolby, Dravid, Saywag, Ganguly. Um, we'd done really well against those guys on kind of the team of friendly wickets in New Zealand, but they didn't really adapt to that. And then, yeah, we headed across to, um, to South Africa and it was, it was, it was good. We, we played, we played okay without playing really well. Like we'd, um, got ourselves to the kind of super, I think it was super six stage then. Yeah. And then we got knocked out by India, um, who went on obviously to lose to Australia in the end. But, um, yeah, I played a few, a few games and then didn't play a few games. I've had a, like an average game against Sri Lanka and, and, you get dropped down, and then all of a sudden, someone else is doing well. Like Andre Adams came in for me, and he bowled really well, which was great. And he's got to wait for the opportunity again because it's one of those tournaments where you don't really change, and you've seen it all. It's not you don't really change a winning combo. So yeah. I was kind of um, there, but that was that was that was, that was great. Um, we beat South Africa and knocked them out. The um, uh, then Glenn got a hundred there, and we knocked them out at uh, the Wanderers. So that was um, great. I watched Shane Bond. Bowls, one of the best bowls I've ever seen against the world class Australian side. He got six for twenty eight. That's right. Yeah. Um, at uh, Port Elizabeth, it was just a mate. But then, hey, Michael Bevan and um, Andy Fickle got stuck in, and they got you to two hundred. And then <laughs> Brett Lee came and bowled us out. So <laughs> that was that was disappointing losing that one because Shane had that was the best spell of bowling of the tournament, really. Um, Oh, when he was at the peak of his powers, he was incredible to watch Shane Bond. Unbelievable. I was 12th man, so I was running drinks there, like every kind of over. (laughs) He'd just get another wicket and then he'd get another one. He he was like getting Ponting, Langer, oh, sorry, Hayden, um, Gilchrist, Damien Martin, like they're all like like these world-class players he's getting out. So um, then, yeah, so then we kind of bowed out there and then we went into the 07 World Cup, which is in the West Indies. once again, I was, probably, I was in the kind of, I wasn't in the first team ticket at, at that stage. I'd just come back from injury and um, played quite well domestically and got called in um, into the squad there. And then I got injured against Canada and I had to fly home after a couple of games. Um, we bowed out there in the semi final against Sri Lanka, who went on to lose uh, once again to Australia. Yeah. And that one. Um, and then I went over as an injury replacement in. 2011 to India, and I was only there for the back end of that. So I was there yep. for um, we lost we lost in the semi to Sri Lanka again um, in Sri Lanka, but I was only there for a couple of games, and um, yeah, didn't feature that one. So uh, that was kind of that was kind of it actually. That was my last um, international um, uh, tour. Uh, here yeah, and then you. Come to Australia to play club cricket. Can you tell us a bit of the story about uh, your connection with Australia? I understand you met your wife in India. Is that right? Is she is she your connection to Australia? Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd originally prior to meeting her, so I met her in oh seven oh eight when I went to the ICL tournament in India. She was a TV presenter. She's been she working for a TV TV company that uh, okay. owns um, the right. To um to the um, tournament, so I met her there, and 
Um, but he lives in Melbourne. I've in Auckland. Um, but prior to that, um, Steve Rickson was the uh, coach of New Zealand. Obviously, played here in Australia. Yeah, for Australia, and um, he um, he asked me one day, he said, "Oh, would you like to go back and play a pre-season a couple of months for my club team, Sutherland, which is up in Sydney?" And this is an O2. I said, yeah, yeah, no worries. I was, the, uh, the New Zealand Warriors made the grand final in rugby league that year, so I was That's always right. going to watch that. They played, they lost to uh, Sydney Roosters, and um, I just yeah took my cricket gear with me and um, stayed there and went back a couple couple more times to Sutherland and. Steve Smith came through there, um, played with him at Sutherland for a, for a season. Uh, also played with Glenn McGrath for a game, which is great. Wow. Yeah, he played for Sutherland. Uh, Stewie Clark, um, Phil Jake. So yep. we had a, we had um, yeah some yeah really good players um, play for us. Uh, Adam Zampa played and um, uh, Nick Maddinson. So there's some yeah quality players who've gone through Sutherland and then. Then I, and in 2013, when I was still living in New Zealand, I was, um, uh, I went over and played for uh, Bankstown, and I played three years for Bankstown when I first moved to Australia in 2013. Ah, right. Um, so Bill Jake played for Sutherland that year, and he was deemed the overseas player as he um, gave up residency because he was playing in England at the time. Right. Oh, there so, you go. So there's only... So you can't play two overseas. You couldn't play two overseas players at the same time. You can't play one, but still, that, that season was the um, overseas, so I went and um, just found another club, and a good, my best friend plays for Bankstown, and he said, mate, come play there, and that's, yeah, so I've been lucky enough to play for two fantastic clubs, and Sydney, with Sutherland, and uh, also Bankstown. And, and your wife has links to Echuca. A, a is she an Echuca girl originally? Yeah, she's originally from Echuca, so her parents, um, yeah, were down in Echuca. And, um, yeah, when we moved down to Albury, which was in 2017, um, unfortunately, my brother-in-law passed away. And subsequently, my, my father-in-law's moved from Echuca up to Albury with us as well, so he's not too far away. So he's closer to, um, to us, and that was the reason why we moved out of Sydney, um, was okay. to be kind of closer to... Um, my wife's parents and family, which are all down the, uh, down this way in Albury and, and surrounding area. And, and you've still got a connection to cricket. Uh, premiership winner at the Lavington Panthers under Robbie McKinlay's coaching, <laughs> I hear. Yeah. It was. Well, when we first moved down in 2017, um, I was coming down to have a look at a uh, house. It must have been there in July. And um, one of my good friends, Ian Butler, who I played international cricket with um, yep. up in Sydney, He's got one of his uh, workers who um, does a lot of coaching with him, Ross Torson, and he he's from Albury. And funny enough, he was in the car when I was on my way down and said, uh, "Oh, I'm from Albury. If you ever want to come play cricket down there, I'll put you in touch with um, our coach, Robbie McKinlay." But please, geez, within 12 hours, Robbie McKinlay <laughs> hit, me up, hit me up with, "I'm going to um, play a full season for the thing, and they, they, he's going to take me on a tour and everything around." Um, Take me around Lavington and give me the old, uh, yeah, just, you know, lay it on for me. So, but, <laughs> um, but once again, I'm glad I've gone to a really good club. Um, but they were great when we first moved down. Um, obviously, I didn't know anyone really down here other than my brother-in-law and a few family members. So um, probably the easiest way to make friends 
um, is to play sport. And so I went and played for Lamington, won the premiership that year with, with them. Um, we, we all played pretty well that year. And, and uh, yeah, and then played a bit of, bit of football because it's all AFL down here. Yeah. So I played, um, I we went in Rome, <laughs> threw some boots on and played um, like, reserve footy down here for um thing called Holbrook. Yeah, which Hol- is Robbie McKinley's um, yeah, old stomping ground. Uh, excellent. And and I hear I hear you play a bit of baseball as well, and you do a bit of um, bit of the the baseball. Oh, I love the baseball. Like um, it probably keeps me connected to a lot of guys back home because we all love baseball. Like Shane Bond, Jacob Warren, Danny Vittori, uh, Peter Fulton, who's the current batting coach um, at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah, Scott Doris. There was a lot of us. Like that played um, international cricket uh, that we love our baseball and so we all play fantasy baseball but like that Super League um, on a um, stuff that you have with football and kind of keeps me involved but I played a bit of um, baseball up here and um, and up back up in Sydney but I really enjoy baseball it's um, a nice little outlet um, it's probably not as taxing as bowling I like you know, <laughs> cricket it doesn't take as long and you, you mentioned a couple of your former teammates, uh, some of them doing really good things at the moment. Andre Adams uh, at Cricket New South Wales, a lot of talk around him and the work he's been doing with uh, Mitchell Stark in particular and Bondi, of course, coaching the Sydney Thunder. How, how good is it that, that these blokes are, are still involved and in, in making a big difference in, in cricket, or, albeit uh, sort of for the enemy? Uh, from your point of view, from a from a New Zealand point of view, do you still keep in touch with those guys? Yeah, definitely. I saw Andre about probably no less than probably a month or so ago. Um, went back to Sydney and I catch up with him as, as much as I can. Same with Shane Vaughan. I went, I went there and I met him at one of the games when they were playing the Renegades in Melbourne, which is obviously a little bit closer than going back to Sydney now. But um, no, we keep in touch um, and see how everything's going. I think he's done a great job and. I know a couple of the young guys playing for the Thunder that are alongside um, Shane, and they really love Shane, um, what he's doing. And I think coaching nowadays, it doesn't matter what we said, the enemy. Like we've had a lot of Australian coaches go across to New Zealand and coaching in first-class cricket, and we've actually got an Australian as our bowling coach at the moment, and then international team, Shane Jurgensen, who I had as my bowling coach uh, when I was playing for the Black Caps as well. So, and he's brilliant. And he's uh, a yeah, Queensland and um, I think you're finding now that Graham Hicks, Zimbabwe and England player, is the batting advisor in the Australian team. Like coaching is purely professional. Like if you if you're good enough, you're going wherever you can go and get gigs. And, and do you think the T20 leagues have helped with that as well? We see a lot of uh, the interaction between the international players now. It seems to be a, a global cricket community where. There are guys learning from each other in all the different franchises around the world. Oh, for sure! Like you, did, you never really used to like um, sort of hang out with a lot of the opposition. Like when you played back in kind of the early two thousands, when I was still, when I was playing, um, it wasn't until kind of that late two thousand period where the IPL and like started, where you're actually playing with a couple of Aussies, a South African, a Pakistani, or a sure Sri Lankan. And so you're getting to know like a lot of different players. I think it's broken quite a few barriers down, like because all of a sudden in test three years, think, oh, I'm playing against such and such, and oh, he's a bit of an idiot. 
but then all of a sudden you're actually playing with them like a month later in, <laughs> in the in the IPL. You go, oh, he's actually a really good dude. Yeah. So it kind of um, and then then you just fuck up new friendships and um, and yeah, I was lucky enough to play like for Auckland and for a few different franchises and, and play alongside and meet international players and you, you pick up so much what um stuff off those guys and the way they do things and um that can yeah kind of pick out and hopefully help your game and just lastly um transitioning from being a professional athlete uh back to being a a more normal citizen for want of a better better term how have you found that the transition out of out of being full-time professional um and then and then adjusting into life. Uh, what's what's life like for you now, and um, what are you looking forward to in the future? Well, I kind of transitioned. Mine was like our first transition out of cricket. I've basically been doing cricket since I was seventeen. Um, hadn't had a basically like what you better term like a, a proper job, like a uh, yeah nine to, to five type job. Um, cricket was that, but then I started getting injuries on my my arm started playing up my shoulder and. I could have jumped out, but I was lucky enough to um, to have met a couple of uh, guys that loved their cricket. I was a very successful businessman, and they got me on board with a, um, a craft beer company back in New Zealand called Moa. And yeah. um, so like, yeah, and um, was working with them back on like I was on the bottom tier, like back down the bottom, got to work your way up again, which is I didn't mind. It was quite humbling. Yeah, um, and um, which I think some guys there have actually. But playing cricket, they're comfortable. Um, it's actually taking that step backwards. Yeah, I can go a couple of steps forward again. And but I, I, I embraced that um, and started working my way up um, the company in that way. And it took me to Australia. It brought me to here. That's what brought us here. I had a um, opportunity to um, run the Australian arm of um, Moa. Wow. Uh, based out of Sydney, so I took up that. That's why we to Sydney originally. Um, and the cricket was just, was secondary. Yeah. Um, so that was good. So then, um, but it was time to move on. And I've always been into, um, I'm actually doing a building apprenticeship at the moment, mature age, um, building apprenticeship. Um, I've always been keen on, um, my father in law's a builder and we've renoed a couple of houses, you know, a couple of houses during our time. And, um, I've always had the passion for being on the tools. So I actually left mower and, um, comes into tape. So I was kind of, the last year or so, I've been at pace with um, you know, a bunch of 17, 18 year olds um, back again. And um, once again, back on the bottom rung, um, working my way up, um, yeah, trying to get my builder's license. So that's where I, that's, that, that's the future for me now. Is, um, and my wife um, has just started an interior design business, um, which is going well. She has property side with um, another one of her work colleagues. And so it's going to complement what we do quite nicely with my wife being an interior designer and, and um, myself with um, a construction background. Yeah, that sounds like a, a perfect fit, really, having the um, – <laughs> you, you build them and she makes them look good on the inside. <laughs> exactly. So that's, that's, hopefully that's the plan. And I've got a couple of years left um, uh, until I get my, my trade ticket. And um, but I'm, I'm learning you know, what's on the way and I think probably – been 41 and I know exactly what I want to do so I kind of just I get things done I need to a taste and I kind of watch through the young guys and, um, and girls like we've got a couple of females in there and you know 
at 17 and 18, they probably don't really know exactly what they want to do yet. And, but um, probably as a mature age, you know, time's gone, I might thought I need to kind of get in there and get things done and kind of move forward. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like the right attitude to have. I'm 41 myself and I've changed changed jobs a few times over the years and it, it's good to have a goal that you're working towards and at our age I guess you know what you want and you're willing to do what it takes to get there and, and that's, a, that's a great attitude to have. Now, final, final question. Uh, this, is, this is a new one for the podcast and um, – I'm I'm dropping the, this on you unprompted, but we'll see how we go. Um, the the usual question people ask is around if you could have dinner with anyone um, living or dead, who would you invite to dinner if you could have three people? But I, I want to put a bit of a cricket spin on this. If you could have a net with anyone, uh, living or dead, uh, cricketer, celebrity, whoever, um, who would your top three be to have a net with? Oh. Probably Viv Richards would be one of them. He was always my boyhood hero. I'd grown up. I always used to love the West Indies, so he was always one. I managed to have a couple of beers on a few occasions when he was coach of the West Indies um, oh, when wow. I was playing. But he was uh, he was always one I looked up to um, when I was um, playing. Just that a bit of arrogant swagger about him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, he would be one. Another one, um, had enough. I've played with him in India when I was playing. It was Matthew Elliott. Yep. I, I used to love Matthew Elliott when, once again, like um, in backyard cricket on back in the late 90s, he was just smashing it for Australia. And I, I used to think, geez, this guy, he wears his helmet with the little air guards and <laughs> just pulls and cuts everything and smashes it. I said, I used to love him. So, so once again, I played with him and, yeah, I, I love him. He's a great bloke, um, Matthew Elliott. So he'd be, one, he'd be another one in my thing. And, Maybe number three, I'd, geez. I'm just trying to think. Number three. Um, Anyone you'd like to tonk around a bit? Any three, any, uh, any bowler you fancied? No, it wasn't too many bowls. I thought, oh, yeah, I'll just sit there and smack you. There's a few batters that thought the same to me. They thought, oh, geez, we love that. Oh, we can we'll smack him. Um, no, probably... Um, one of, the, one of the other greats I used to love watching him playing was um, Brian Lara. Like, um, he was one of the best, like I have ever bowled to. Um, I'm watching him get at 277. I've got it on video on VHS. Oh, I was, I was at the SCG when he got his 277, actually. Uh, unbelievable. I've got that. I used to watch that over and over and over again at 277. And like I had Greg Batty's bowling and yeah. Craig McDermott, he's just wearing it like a baseball cap and just pulling them and because he eventually yeah, got run out didn't he he didn't yeah. yeah he didn't get dismissed by the bowlers he just he looked like <laughs> he, he would have batted for days oh he's just pumping it but yeah he'd be another one like just um yeah, if I could have a net like um so funny enough, he was one I actually went down and had a net I was playing first class cricket and they um the guy said oh we need some net bowlers to get involved to the Western East that were touring yeah. um at the time I said I'll go I said, I may never get a bowl. I said, I may never get to bowl to like Brian Lara and, and Carl Hooper and guys like that. So I said, I'll, I'll go down. So then I thought, nah, nah, who wants to get down and bowl with them? I'm <laughs> Mate, had a great time. I thought, geez, just watching them play and, and that, yeah, you know, he bowls a couple of bounces and they kind of duck and weave a couple. And they, yeah, 
it was, it was great. It was, it was, that was a fantastic experience, that one. Oh, that's absolutely outstanding. Well, it's been an absolute pre- pleasure chatting to you, Daryl. Um, thank you so much for your time and all the best um, with life going forward with your apprenticeship and, and life as a dad and, and a husband. Um, thanks for joining us on the Cricket Library podcast. Beautiful, mate. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. A massive thank you to Daryl Tuffy for giving us his time on the Cricket Library podcast for our final episode for 2019. And of course, if you've missed anything in the year that has been, head to your favourite podcast provider. You know where to go. You might want to go to Spotify. You might want to go to iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you like. Today's Tale is another great option. You'll also find some of my written work there at the Today's Tale website. So please do that. Please make sure you like, subscribe, share, tweet, do whatever you need to do to get the word out there about the Cricket Library podcast. It is very much appreciated and great to have a guest like Daryl Tuffy to finish the year. Fantastic to hear about the ins and outs of playing international cricket Loved his net selections for his three people he'd like to net with. Richards, Elliot, Lara. My word, that would be a very interesting net session and one I'd probably like to gate crash. I'd probably like to send down a few leggies and I'm sure my step count would be pretty high that day because I'd be chasing leather uh, quite regularly, bowling to the calibre of players like that. Uh, Also really loved the way that that Daryl's transitioned out of cricket really taken it upon himself to get himself uh, a future, put himself in a position where he can uh, learn some new skills and and become the person that he aspires to be and uh, really commendable the way that he's gone about his business since retiring from international cricket. Uh, a, a real credit to him and um, great to hear about that part of his journey as well. So... Have yourselves a great 2020, everyone. The Cricket Library podcast will be back bigger and better next year. And we look forward to bringing you more great guests like Daryl Tuffy. From Matt Ellis, it is bye for now.